I'm Joanne Wilson. I have been a blogger for over 15 years under the name Gotham Gal. I have invested in over 120 companies over the last 12 years. 75% of my portfolio is women founders, and I also was the co-founder of the Women's Entrepreneur Festival that we put on successfully for seven years. Most of the women that I know who have gone on to raise significant amounts of capital, they walk in a room and they're like, wait a second, I know my business better than anyone else in this room. I know exactly the path we should be following. And if you're not on it and you don't believe in me and you don't believe in my business, you're not the right investor. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Gotham gal Joanne Wilson is a longtime angel investor with a special focus on women entrepreneurs. She explains why she's passionate about leading female founders to success. You said there was a constant financial tension that ran through your house when you were a child. Would you tell us about that and how that shaped your view of money? It definitely shaped my view of money. Um, well, my parents got divorced when I was 15. And so we really went from having money um, to not having any money. And, 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 and having money is such a, a broad term, right? As a kid, you really have no clue what you have. But we did grow up in a very fancy suburb that we moved to um, after my father was a professor at University of Michigan. And so, you know, I was astute enough to see, you know, there are some huge houses and how these people are living. And we had a really nice house, too. We weren't the top of the top. We weren't the low of the low. But, you know, all of a sudden, when I turned 15 and my parents got divorced, there was no cash. And my mother was crazy about it. And there was this over-constant lying tension about, um, you know, we need to uh, – you got to get your father to give you a check for this. We don't have money for this. Um, you know, we can't afford this. You can't do this. And, um, and then it was just like silent, you know, sort of white noise. And um, I think that's probably one of the reasons the minute I could drive, I had three jobs. When you were first married, you were the family breadwinner. What was that like? You know, I always thought I was just going to, um, you know, take a rocket to the ship. I think that had to come from my childhood, you know, which is I wanted to climb every mountain that came my way. And I wanted to make sure that I was incredibly financially stable, that I never had to think about money like that anymore. It wasn't like I want to be rich. It was more like, I don't want to have the stress of figuring out how to pay bills. And, um, and so I always knew that I was, you know, when I graduated college, I thought I was going to be the CEO of Macy's in six years. I mean, I had no concept, and I wasn't get any feedback from my parents, which is when you go work in a company of that size, you have to pay politics. It takes a long time. Like, they gave me no tools. Um, and so, you know, I went out and figured it out myself. Um, but, um, you know, my husband and I have always been a partnership. So it wasn't like, this is mine, this is yours. It's always been, this is ours. Does that stress of worrying about money ever go away, no matter how successful you are? Um, not really. <laughs> it's just different stress of money. Um, you know, every time you're like, okay, this is it. This is the one, you know, it takes us to a whole nother level. There's other stresses. I mean, we we don't live our lives any different um, and on terms of taking risks and living on the edge than we did 40 years ago. It's just that we have now more money to play with. When you were younger, you thought you were going to be run a billion-dollar company. So when did you realize that wasn't your goal anymore? It took a lot of therapy. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, um, what happened really is I had these kids. 
Um, and I also was at Macy's when I started my career. It went through this time period in the uh, early 90s where Campo came into the world from Canada and kind of disrupted the entire retail world. And in many ways, we're living the long tail of that right now. And um, Macy's decided to go private. And, um, you know, all these people from above were micromanaging. I knew enough to be dangerous because my husband was uh, just entering the VC world. I knew I wasn't getting any stock for this. And, um, and the way that they were managing the business made zero sense to me because they had this tremendous debt. And, um, and they were so scared. They were just like their hands were on everything. And, um, and I worked for this guy who was not that bright. And his boss basically told me, you know, women don't move as quickly as men in this company. And so I left. Um, and then I went to the other side. And then I had these children. And no one ever said, like, wow, you know, when you have these children, you actually have to feed them, <laughs> bathe them, um, you know, make sure they're clothed and someone needs to take care of them. And, um, you know, I had left Macy's. I went on to run a company in the Garment Center. You know, I didn't want to work at the level that I knew that I would when I had kids that level uh, age. I had an opportunity to start a couple companies that would be my companies. I just was like, if I do that, I will not be present in my children's life because I'm a 24-7 lunatic and I will dive in so deep. And I was fearful of doing that because I felt my parents weren't present in my life. You were told when you started out your career that you were too aggressive. What do you say to women who have been told they're too aggressive? Be aggressive. That's utterly ridiculous. You know, if someone sat in a room like we're sitting in today with a window that you couldn't see through and there were men being interviewed with the same questions as women that were being asked, um, there's no doubt that the data would be that people react to women who are aggressive and smart and challenging and curious different than they would to the men asking the exact same questions and pushing the same buttons. We need to be true to ourselves and be as smart and aggressive in regards to getting what we want as any man would and that anyone that doesn't appreciate that and applaud it is not someone you want to do business with. But what if they're your boss and they're threatened? You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of that out there. Um, and I do think it's changing, um, certainly with Me Too and, and a next generation of people that are growing up with parents that are telling them, you can do and be anything. Um, so that when these women get to points where they're working for those type of people, they're sort of like, no, this is not appropriate behavior. And, you know, mo most of them, which is why you see in your 20s, people bouncing all over the place from job to job, finding things that make them happy and make them comfortable. And um, I think that if you can be true to yourself and say to someone who's working, why, why do you do this to me? Why do you behave in this way? You know, push back and ask the questions and create transparency. And if you don't get what you want, leave. I mean, the, the beautiful thing is, is that um, if you're smart, you can always find another job. You've changed careers and reinvented yourself several times. What's your advice for women who want to do the same? I think in many ways I was way ahead of the curve in doing that. And I know that a lot of the women that I am personally friends with who are in their early 30s and uh, late 30s uh, have already done that multiple times who have had families. Uh, they're smart. They're entrepreneurial. Um, they've had children and said, wow, you know, I want to be around, but I still need to work because it makes me feel good about myself or I need the financial capital. And so 
Um, and and the jobs that are available now weren't necessarily available when I graduated college. I mean, they say that 50% of the jobs that will be here in five years, we don't even know what they are now. And so we're creating a new workplace, and you can reinvent yourself multiple times. I mean, I've always been a big fan of hiring people based on their um, their work abilities, not that they've been in that industry. So I think skill sets is something that's going to be more and more important as um, uh, the next generation enters the workplace. You're a well-known angel investor. Would you explain in basic terms what an angel investor does? Yes. An angel investor is someone with their own capital that comes into a startup business of someone that is just starting to create a business, find some traction, um, understanding they actually have someone who wants to buy pieces of their business, um, be it software, be it a food product, be it whatever, and they need funding to get to the next level. And an angel like me would put money into that business, and for that I would own a piece of that company. And can anyone be an angel investor? Yeah, now you can. You know, the laws are that anybody can. But I do, you know, highlight that the risk is crazy. And the importance of doing that is creating a thesis so that you understand what your risk is, what your returns might not be, and that you should really think about it as you're going to Las Vegas, you're blowing a bunch of money, and um, you might walk away with zero, but you had a great weekend, or you had a wonderful time meeting with these founders, helping these founders, helping their businesses grow, and um, uh, you learn from it. So if you invest in, say, 12 companies, about how many of those companies do you make money off of? You never know. So far, I've had a really good track record in regards to companies that are still standing versus going under. Um, but, you know, the reality is is that numbers are numbers, and I will have maybe 10 of them, if not more, that will become really big companies, and that pays off everything. How do you find your investments? It's been um, mostly they've come to me. They literally show up in my box. And again, I've been doing this for 12 years, and so there was very few people doing what I was doing 12 years ago. Um, and then creating a community around it, as well as knowing VCs who would even, you know, send me deals and say, we really like this deal. It's way too early for us. We'd love you to meet this founder. If this is something you'd be interested in, invest in it, we would help and kind of follow, you know, until the next round. So it's a, uh, a multiple of things. Um, other people that have invested say, we just invested this. What do you think? But most of them, you know, I've, I've met them. I've seen them. Um, they've emailed me. Um, it, I've not done that much outreach. The game has changed recently, and so I don't know if you need to do more outreach to find the right ones. It's almost become mainstream. Is that how the game has changed? Yeah, I think the game has become mainstream, that everyone thinks they can be a founder and an entrepreneur. It's almost like, you know, I'm going to be a dentist or I'm going to be a doctor. You know, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, and there's a lot of more money out there, which is a good thing and a bad thing, too. And um, I think because of it, these companies are overvalued for their initial pricing and raising way too much money to create um, a business, um, whereas you didn't have to eight, 10 years ago. And I'm not exactly sure why you should have to change that mode. Coming up, Joanne Wilson explains what it's like to be part of a tech power couple who is helping reinvent women's roles in the startup world.
there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. How come you're focused on investing in women-owned and minority-owned companies? Um, Well, when I started investing, the majority of people that started sort of reaching out to me were these women who, um, you know, they had some investors or they had people around them giving them advice, and it was all men. And or men that didn't understand what they were building. I sort of made this, you know, conscious decision that I wanted to invest in women because I understood their businesses. I saw the value of what they were doing. And I also knew that having one other voice around the table for them was extremely important to have some other female besides all the other investments that could be a consigliere to them. And the same thing for minorities, um, which is pairs with women, which is you can't be it if you can't see it. And so the only way to change the game for eight-year-olds or 10-year-olds that are coming up the path that want to feel equal to everyone in business when they enter the workforce is to point to other people and say, I can be it because you did it. Um, I just actually finished reading Michelle Obama's book. And, you know, she, you know, for all intents and purposes, is an incredibly humble human being. And when she goes into these neighborhoods and helps these kids and says, I was you, they can point to her and go, well, oh my God, look what she's done with her career. You know, I can be it if she can be it. And so I do think um, that is an important thing um, as an investor for me um, to put my money into people that um, can change the balance of the workforce. So if I wanted to get started as an angel investor, what steps should I take or where would I look to get up to speed on that? You know, there's tons of events around the city in the startup community. Um, I would tell you first, think about what you have learned in your career that you think that you could provide the most value. So you've been in media. You've been in journalism. And I would say to you, start talking to startups in media and journalism because you can provide the best advice because you've seen it. You've watched it. You could help them step around huge abysses, you know, that you know have not worked. Um, And you're in it every day, so you have a big picture thought process about how things will work and won't work. Sometimes, you know, you don't want to be in the business you're in because you're like, I know so much. It's like, you know, I know too much. It makes it painful. Um, But, you know, that's one way, Um, you know, a comfort level. Think about how much you want to put in in every business. I think you should be consistent because it mitigates your risk. Um, But then, you know, go to these events. Start talking to people. You make one, you meet the other uh, um, people that invest in it. All of a sudden, they're sending each other deals, you know, and it's, 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 your circle just broadens. You say more women need to stand on the table and say, I rule. How come? 
Well, certainly I probably said that back in the day when I was seeing these women who I had invested in as an angel go out and attempt to raise their next round. And the pushback was anything from you're too aggressive, as we spoke earlier, or, um, you know, you're not going to build a billion-dollar business because you're going to sell it too early, or, you know, this is what you should be doing. And what's interesting is most of the women that I know who have gone on to raise significant amounts of capital, at one point, they do stand on that table because they walk in a room and they're like, wait a second. I know my business better than anyone else in this room. I know exactly the path we should be following. And if you're not on it and you don't believe in me and you don't believe in my business, you're not the right investor. But at the beginning, you're almost like, please give me money, you know? And and, and you want to walk out of that room having everyone think you're fabulous. It's never going to happen. And I think that um, it's important to own it. You have your medical marijuana license. What prompted you to get this? Well, in California, you can just walk into a store. Um, And I started investing in the cannabis space, God, four or five years ago, something that's really interesting to me. Another space that is so overvalued right now, it is utterly ridiculous. But I hope that it becomes, you know, a federal law that everyone can buy it in any state. Um, I think states are going to do it just because the amount of taxes they're going to get out of it. If they say it's going to be channeled towards education or transportation or the roads, um, it's a win-win for everybody. How do you make sure people aren't using you for your money or connections? I have a pretty good radar. I think that for a lot of people, that's hard. I mean, you know, I hate to say with money comes power because um, it shouldn't, but it does. And um, it was my husband who said that to me many, many, many years ago when we started having um, a lot of financial success. And, um, you know, as you said earlier, do you ever stop thinking about it? You know, and I still, you know, I buy a dress and I go to an event. It's like I need to wear it a couple of times. Like it just feels guilty to me, you know. Um, But, you know, I remember I was some event and some uh, something happened. And he said, remember with money comes power. And I thought, wow, I never really thought about it that way. So I think that what's important is to use your power in a very positive way that you can make a difference in the world versus a lot of people that end up being extremely powerful because of their finances end up becoming corrupt and terrible people. Now, maybe they were always those people. But I think it's very important to be very aware of what and who you are. What's your secret to a long and happy marriage? Enjoying the same sort of things, for sure. I mean, you know, I've once said to a friend of mine years ago who was like a serious like lover of like every food. And he was dating this woman who was like a vegan and barely ate. I was like, it's not going to work. I think you have to enjoy the same things, have the same goals, actually really like each other want to raise your family the same, and um, and have utter respect for each other. You and your family have very public personas. How do you balance that with security concerns? You know, I do live our, we live our lives publicly, but there's plenty that is not public. And um, social media and blogging and podcasting and the investments that we've done, being transparent has provided some insight or good in the world you know, if anything else. How do you instill a work ethic in your children? 
I remember there was a woman that bumped into me on the street who had a daughter who was 13, who was a friend of my son's. And she's like, you know, you have this amazing relationship with your kids. How do I do that now? And I thought, oh, my God, you're 13 years too late. Like, you need to start when they come out. And I think one of the things is important is to treat your kids like adults from the time they're kids. You know, they're, they're smart people. They're aware. They're conscious. Let them make their own mistakes. Give them a lot of rope. Um, set expectations. And, um, and let them live their lives. Time now for your secrets. I'm Joanne Wilson, and my money secret is we stick to budgets, fixed costs. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out more episodes of Secrets of Wealthy Women on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. And be on the lookout for our upcoming ebook based on the Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. Coming soon from the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.